Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Liverpool have got their mojo back, Chelsea have lost theirs, City's title charge can't be stopped and is Mikel Arteta on borrowed time at Arsenal. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined for this one by Phil Costa. Hey mate, how's it going? And Angelina Kelly. Hello. Hello, hello. Did you both enjoy the international break? Oh my God, it was so riveting. I was just, oh, <laughs> couldn't tear myself away from it. <laughs> How about you, Phil? Just the, the, the non-stop excitement of meaningless fixtures is, is really what, what gets me going. Well, that's it. It's funny how like people, even in our line of work, talk about the international break as if it's this big break from football where we can all you know take a rest from it and, and recharge our batteries. And there's basically still football on every single day, isn't there? I think there was maybe yeah. two days where there was no games on um, in the whole two weeks, basically. Um, but it's good to have the Premier League back for the business end of the season. And we've got 10 matches to talk about today. We'll begin at the Emirates, where Arsenal had their arses handed to them by Liverpool 3-0 on Saturday night. This was Mikel Arteta's 50th league game in charge of Arsenal. Uh, Phil, as, a, as an Arsenal fan, would you say that was a, the worst performance under him so far? Oof, well, what a place to, to start. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it, you know, it, obviously when you when you lose a game like that at home in, in a supposed big game against one of your top six rivals, then it's never a good look. But for sure, I can't think of of many sort of worse, worse performances than that under, under Arteta, which is quite damning, really. I know you know, we we had some injuries and we had some tired legs after the international break, but yeah, it was just a bit embarrassing, really. We, we were completely camped in our half and we didn't even lay a glove on Liverpool and they're supposed to be, you know, struggling a bit um, at the moment. So for that to happen at home was, was not a good look at all. Mm. How much time do you think Arteta will get to turn things around at Arsenal and, and how much of his future hinges on the Europa League now? Ooh, well, I mean, his future, I'm not sure, but for sure our season hinges on it. Um I think there's a, a sort of wider acceptance at Arsenal that things are pretty bad. Um, and we had a lot of issues with contracts. So the squad is very top heavy. We needed to, to get rid of some people. We need, obviously, we need to bring some people in. So it was never going to be a, a, a sort of a quick fix. And I think his appointment uh, pointed to that. It was kind of a, a project with him. And, and we've seen some good things and we've seen some bad things. But for sure, I mean, we're out of the FA Cup. The top four is, you know, forget that now. Um, so for sure, everything rests on 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 this Europa League campaign. And obviously, you know, it's the it's the perfect cocktail. You know, in Europe with Arsenal get playing against some underdogs who have about one fit centre back, and it's you know, I'm just dreading the uh, another upset on Thursday really. But for sure, I mean, it's it's Europe or bust now. Yeah, I get the impression with Arsenal fans that you've been very patient with Arteta so far, but it felt like after that that game on Saturday, you know, from what I saw on Twitter, that uh, patience is starting to wear a little bit thin now and people are starting to question whether he's up to the job. You know, what did you think of him playing um, Aubameyang on the left wing, for example? Do you think that's a, um, a waste of Aubameyang's talents? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, the thing is, we, we actually, after Christmas, we found like a nice little sort of formula with, with him as a central striker and... You know, Odegaard, Smithrow, and Saka behind him, and that they're more like high-touch technical players who can who can all create and link with each other. And he's kind of just there to finish. Um, but when he's on the left, he doesn't really offer you much um, in terms of technique or creativity. And obviously, you don't want him doing shuttle runs back to the, mm. the edge of edge of your box with the right back. So for me, he should just not play there. Um, 
And I don't know, Lacazette's been playing okay recently, so I can understand him being played there. But for me, Aubameyang has to start as a central striker or, or not at all. Yeah, I feel like that new hairstyle of Aubameyang looks pretty dangerous to me. I mean, it, look, it looks great, but those those dreads, imagine if you got caught in the eye with one of them, it'd take your eye out, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, it would. Um, but it was a great performance and result for Liverpool. Um, Angelina, do you think they, they've properly rediscovered their mojo at the perfect time? And, and could you see them sneaking into the top four and maybe even winning the Champions League now? Let's not get too excited. <laughs> Let's just calm ourselves down. We don't need the likes of Joel getting himself all excited for disappointment. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, you know what? If this is them rediscovering you know, their mojo, um, then... And great, definitely perfect timing, especially with, you know, Real Madrid on the horizon. I guess the Champions League, you never know. I think I've said it before. It wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool ended up somehow getting to the final. And we we're all like, how did that even happen? But it's happened and you just roll with it. Um, but regarding beating Real Madrid, I could maybe see that happening. But actually winning it, I think we need to calm ourselves a little bit there, <laughs> looking at some of the other teams. Um, and I just feel like, I guess in the league, the only team that could test them, um, maybe Man United, but knowing us, that probably won't happen. Mm. Um, but I just feel like they should win their other games. So I feel like it's it's definitely, if they can win those games, then they've definitely got a shot. But I think it's more about the teams around them. Like I can't necessarily see West Ham and Chelsea slipping up, even though the points are pretty tight. I can't see them slipping up that much for Liverpool to get that top four. So I think Liverpool fans, you know, just be happy with, I think you'll, you know, you'll be solid in that Europa League spot. And I think, yeah. Be grateful for that. <laughs> I really um, fancy them to, to beat Real Madrid quite comfortably, actually. I might jinx them by saying that, but uh, I'd, be, I'd be very surprised if they didn't, actually. I mean, they seem to have got it all sorted now. Even the defence might be a slight worry, but even that is looking pretty solid again now. So, yeah, we'll yeah. See, see how that one goes. Um, Diogo Jota chips in with a couple more goals. Um, Angelina, do you think his injury has possibly been the one that's affected Liverpool the most this season? Maybe even, even more so than Van Dijk's? I mean, I feel like it has definitely been... Um, a, a big a big injury loss. I feel like people will be feeling like Van Dijk was probably the one that's affected them the most because I feel like it just began this like horror story for them. Um, and I think it was a real thorn in everybody's side. But regarding a player that can create something and score a goal, 100%, I think um, they've really missed him. And when he arrived, he kind of breathed this new life into the team. You know, he's a player that can play in a couple of different positions. He's an exciting player to watch. So yeah, I think it definitely affected them. I think maybe not the most, but definitely up there um, as one of the biggest uh, injuries that Liverpool have had to deal with. And it's great to see him back. And, and he's a great player to watch, like I say, and it's good to see him playing well. Indeed, yeah. Uh, but on that first Jota goal, I think we have to say we saw some pretty pretty poor marking from Rob Holding and some pretty weak-wristed goalkeeping from Bernd Leno. In fact, I saw someone describe it as Easter egg chocolate wrists, which was quite uh, appropriate. Um, <laughs> Phil, do you think those two are good enough for Arsenal, Holding and, and Leno? What, Rob Holding getting beaten in the air by a small amount? What's happened there? <laughs> you know? It's not like Raheem Sterling did it two years <laughs> yeah, ago. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, um, actually, to be honest, Rob Holding's been okay this year, but for sure, I think that's a, a bit of a weak spot in his game. I mean, actually, the cross was was brilliant from Alexander-Arnold, mm. but I think his positioning was was very off and quite flat. Um, but for sure, for me, Leno should save that. I mean, it's right at him, and it's kind of just gone through him. Um I mean, in terms of, of if they're good enough for Arsenal, I think Holding is, is perfectly capable as backup, you know, as the third or fourth choice centre-back who can come in every now and again. And, you know, Leno 
you know, he's probably in the upper bracket of goalkeepers in the Premier League, but there's always a, a chance you can improve on him. But it's just like, where, why do you prioritise that position when you've got an absolute dumpster fire of, <laughs> of play, you know, of a squad in the other position? So, I mean, we need a right back, left back, uh, another probably a right centre back. We need a midfielder. We need a attacking midfielder. So, I mean... Leno's been good mostly, but for sure he has these these little moments in uh, in his game. Do you really regret letting Emmy Martinez go? Do you think? Actually, you know what? I've got receipts about this on, <laughs> on my Twitter when I said it, and I said I feel more comfortable with Emmy in goal. I just think he's like a bigger presence. He's good with the ball at you know at his feet. But I mean, at the end of the day, the money came on. It came in for Emmy, and, and nobody offered any any money for Leno. So. At the end of the day, we couldn't keep both. So it's a shame. Um, but for me, I, I just felt a bit more comfortable with, with Martinez in there. But I'm not exactly unhappy with Leno, yeah. let's just say. Yeah. But yeah, what a cross it was from Trent Alexander-Arnold, as you said. Um, Angelina, do you, do you agree with pretty much everyone else that that was a performance that will have made Gareth Southgate feel foolish for not calling him up for England over the last international break? Oh, 100%. I can almost see Gareth Southgate like leaving him a voicemail or something like <laughs> after the performance or, you know, like, maybe just texting him like, good game today, by the way. And Alexander Arnold's like, look at you all up in my business <laughs> now that you can see that you made a mistake. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody has been critical of Southgate's decision, let's be honest. Um, and I think the performance really spoke to who Trent is as a person as well. You know, like he's a young lad. He could have quite easily let it get the better of him. He could have thrown his toys out of his pram, you know, but he simply let the football speak and I'm glad that he did. Um, and, and I love to see it. Um, I, I don't have any issues with Gareth Southgate, but he, he just he irritates me slightly and I'm not too sure why. So <laughs> I enjoy the fact that he's kind of been shown up a little bit and I hope that he takes it on the chin and I would love to see him, you know, come out and hold his hands up and say, you know what? Maybe I was wrong, um, and yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that he had a good performance, and he will definitely be coming back to Trent with his tail between his legs. Yeah, I suppose the other school of thought is that it might have sort of fired him up for the the final period of the season. Um, you know, he, he got a, got a bit of a break, a bit of time to work on stuff on the training ground with with Klopp and that. So you know, maybe that's it wasn't... what Southgate will say. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I was doing him a favour, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was giving him a little break. I could see that he needed a rest. I was thinking of him the entire time. So yeah, but. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure Trent will be in the squad for the Euros, Phil, but does he get into England's best start 11, starting 11 for you? I don't. It depends what system Southgate is going to play. I mean, he seems quite settled with this, this three back. Um, and for me, there's, there's no problem with him starting as the wing back. I know Southgate likes Trippier a lot. And to be fair, he's, he's been good for Atletico this year. Um, but yeah, I think I found his his reasoning quite strange to not include him. You know, it's pretty much the the worst inconsistent spell of football he's had in about what three years since yeah. breaking into the Liverpool team, and and you know, and and that was sort of it. You know, there was no margin for for him to to dip a little bit, and it's still you know he's still very young. So I found that quite strange from Southgate, but I think he'll go, and and it should be Trippier. And uh, and Alexander Arnold for for that right wing back spot. I don't think Reese James is quite ready yet, so I think there there will be the two options with Carl Walker kind of doing the centre back slash right wing back cover role. Do you think uh, Trent's defensive ability is is a worry? No, I don't think so. I mean, actually, if you look at his numbers, they've actually been good this year. Yeah. Um, it's actually offensively where his output has has dropped. So. Um, I just think it was a small dip. Maybe you're right. It, it sort of fired him up a bit to to prove him wrong. Mm. 
but for sure he should go. He's one of the best young players in the country, so he should go. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, moving on, and the shock of the weekend took place at Stamford Bridge on Saturday, where struggling West Brom beat Chelsea 5-2. Uh, Chelsea were winning this game 1-0, and then they crumbled after Thiago Silva was sent off in the 29th minute. Uh, Angelina, why do you think a team that has defended so well under Thomas Tuchel um, capitulated so badly with 10 men? I think it's just one of those situations where something happens that you don't expect. You know, Thiago Silva gets sent off, and it's... They just couldn't come back from it. I think that they were just unable to keep themselves composed. The timing of the sending off wasn't great. I mean, he wasn't on the pitch half an hour, was he? It mm-hmm. was just, it, I think it was just one of those situations where everything was just going wrong. Perhaps, you know, the fact that this team has been all over the show this season, you know, with two managers, you know, different teams being played, different formulas, etc. Maybe it's harder to react as a team and to show a stronger front. Um Mentally, it's hard to bounce back. I don't know. Um, I just feel like once West Brom found a way to exploit them, they just really struggled to react to it and put a stop to it. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't. It was. It was a shambles. It just wasn't great. <laughs> it looked to me a little bit like they, uh, even when they went down to ten men, they were like, "Well, it's only West Brom, and we've got the best defense in you the league what? at the moment. So why, right. why need to worry? What do we need to worry about?" Yeah, I feel like they probably did underestimate the situation a little bit, and by the time that they realised, hang on a minute, we've underestimated them. It was kind of too little, too late. Mm. Well, this was West Brom's first win at Stamford Bridge for 45 years. They had only scored 20 goals all season before Saturday. Um, they scored some lovely uh, goals here. The team move finished off by and by Diagne to make it 4-1, probably the pick of the bunch for me. Um, Phil, where do you think this performance came from, from the Baggies, and, and has it come too late to save them from relegation? No, it's, it's always difficult to say because in the Premier League, we've seen some crazy escapes. I mean, even with West Brom. Um, they had that one season, I think it was 2004, 2005, when they managed to escape by the, the skin of their teeth. But, you know, I think they scored that first goal and, you know, something just sort of clicked with them and they realised, oh, maybe these lot aren't uh, as stable as we thought um, because it's always a bit difficult to manage games against 10 men because you're like, do we go for it and and try and win? Or what if we get caught and then it looks ridiculous that we got caught on the break against 10 men? We're probably in a bit of a sort of a weird situation but I think once they had that first goal it was like right we can really have a go at them now and in terms of them staying up I mean there's eight games left and they're you know there's still eight points off Newcastle I think in 17th so it would be a huge ask um, for them to for them to stay up now but I guess what better way to to kick off a run than winning 5-2 at Stamford Bridge so I mean, stranger things have happened, but I, I just don't see enough in that squad to to keep a, a sort of a winning run going. Yeah, there was a, a great um, behind-the-scenes clip they showed on Match of the Day of Allardyce waiting around for his post-match interview, and he says to the guy, oh, we're not going to be last on Match of the Day tonight, are we? And the, the guy sort of says, oh, yeah, we weren't expecting this. And he was like, neither was I. <laughs> so if that's the energy that he's transmitting to his players, no wonder they're uh, struggling. Yeah. Um, he wasn't the only p- bad players. Uh, he wasn't the only Chelsea player to have a bad game, but it was another bad day at the office for Timo Werner, Angelina. Um, do you think it's possible he might never emerge from this slump? And, and if you were Chelsea, would you be having a look at Sergio Aguero on a free transfer this summer perhaps you know what we've seen players over the years time and time again that arrive at clubs and they never really do emerge from the slump um and for me I feel like it's been a while since we've seen it happen to such a talented player it does happen but I feel like you've got to give him you've got to give him a little bit more time um I think he will come out of it I am going to have faith in this guy um but you know the issue needs to be identified here 
you know, is it the formation? Is it just that he's not adapting? Is it the players around him? Is it something that's going on for him personally? I just feel like if you're not even thinking about Chelsea, you're just thinking about Timo Werner, selling him is not going to help this poor lad. Like, Mm. I say poor (laughs) lad, the amount of money that he's on. Probably not poor, is he? But, you know, like, psychologically, this is just, this could end him. Do you know what I mean? Um, But I can also see the appeal of a player like Aguero. I guess they have an older player in in Giroud who may not provide you with the same amount of goals as Aguero. Um, But I guess they kind of have that older, decent player box ticked. Um, I feel like if they want to bring in Aguero, like I say, I can 100% see the attraction there. Um, I think they'd need to get rid of some other players, you know, maybe Giroud, you know, they need to weigh up things. Do they want to keep Tammy Abraham? I would like to think so. Um, I wouldn't give Werner the boot because if he does come good as a player, then you know, next season, if next season we see a completely different team of Werner, you know, they could have quite a few decent solid seasons with him versus Aguero, who we don't know how many more decent seasons he has, not as a disrespect to him, but just because he is getting older and with his injuries and stuff like that. So yeah, I can see the attraction with Aguero, but I wouldn't be sacking off Werner completely I wouldn't be selling him for Aguero if that makes sense yeah totally yeah uh, if West Brom do go downfield do you think Mateus Pereira is the main player of theirs that other Premier League clubs should be looking to poach yeah definitely I mean actually it's quite strange to to see a, a sort of a number 10 kind of creative player thriving under Sam Allardyce but I thought they did a really good job of just giving him a kind of a free role and said look just do what you want basically so yeah. um, and you know two goals and two assists sort of vindicates that decision but I think for sure if if they go down he'll he'll be one to one to take and I'm sure he he won't be that expensive either probably between 15 and 20 million I mean he's 24 years old a lot of upside there so um you know people like Southampton Everton you know teams like that or even West Ham uh, I don't know maybe if they don't splurge all their cash on Lingard um could be looking at him as a as a sort of price relegation snag from one of the from one of the lower clubs yeah it's funny we say that about Allardyce's teams and you know we think of them these sort of meat and potatoes knock it long style football you know I remember when they had JJ Okocha at Bolton Yuri Jorkaev and all that so <laughs> it's not uh you know he's he's, he's worked with with flair players before I guess um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is on loan at West Brom and, and reports last week suggested that he sees his future away from Arsenal uh, why do you think that is Phil and are you disappointed that he hasn't made the grade at the Emirates yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult one with Maitland-Niles because, you know, he originally came through as a as a right midfielder and then he sort of uh, developed into a central midfielder. But then his first team breakthrough came in sort of the wing-back areas or full-back. And I, for me, that's where his future lies. But personally, I, he sees his future in more of a central role. And unfortunately, he's just not good enough to, to play centrally for a top top club mm. um i mean whether arsenal still fall into that bracket remains to be seen <laughs> but uh, yeah he's he's just a bit lax on the ball he's kind of he's away sometimes he just falls asleep in the middle of the pitch and that's one place where you can't afford to do it so i mean fair enough if he wants to drop down a level and and try and establish himself in midfield somewhere there you know all the best to him but it's just a shame because i think defensively he could be like a really good full back uh, full back slash wing back um i mean he put some particularly towards the end of last season, he put in some brilliant performances for Arsenal, you know, against Man City, against Liverpool. He completely shut down his his side, whatever 
on whichever flank he was playing on. So I think maybe it's a, a little bit of a missed opportunity and especially because he's homegrown, he would be, you know, brilliant to have in our squad. But at the end of the day, you can't keep every academy player and if they can generate you some cash, for example, like Alex Iwobi did when we sold him to Everton, then, you know, he, he's done his job, we've done our job and we can, you know, shake hands and part ways. So whatever he does, I'll, I'll wish him good luck and, and we'll see how his career goes from there. Yeah, good luck to him. Uh, good luck to Manchester City, who moved a step closer to the title with a big 2-0 win away at Leicester on Saturday evening. This result officially means Liverpool have no chance of retaining the title now. Um, some people have said that their reign as Premier League champions was the shortest ever due to last season finishing later than planned. The question is though, Angelina, are you champions until you can no longer retain the title or does your reign only end when somebody else wins it? Oh, you know what? It's hard because... <laughs> it's a philosophical question, that one, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, <laughs> you're technically champions until another team lifts the trophy, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know how things work in the Premier League. Do Liverpool have that trophy at the moment or do they just have a replica? Like, when do the Premier League rock up and like knock on the door and be like, yeah, we need it? Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not too sure how it works, to be honest. So I think maybe w- whenever the Premier League knock on the door for it, maybe then that's when it, it becomes reality. But um, normally last year's winners are competing titles, so they're still in the mix and it's and they're still relevant to the title, whereas Liverpool aren't. Um, so <laughs> you don't look at them as yeah. you know a, a winning side at the moment, unfortunately. I personally feel like Liverpool should be given the respect that they deserve for last season in that the reign should end when somebody else is lifting that title, in my opinion. That's mm. only fair. I mean, you know, if somebody wins the Oscar for Best Actor, they, <laughs> they don't rock up and take the Oscar off them as soon as they've maybe not <laughs> had a great movie that the next year or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got to be fair with it. And, you know, as well, we've got to think about Liverpool fans. It's been a long time and we should at least give them, you know, the full season to still live in last season and enjoy it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So, well, that thing yeah. about the shortest reign ever, I mean, as funny as it is, um, it's a technicality, isn't it, really? Because of yeah. last season finishing late. So, so you know, lay off Liverpool. That's what I, that's, yeah. that's what I say, yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of so-called neutral fans on Twitter this season saying that they find City's style of football a bit boring to watch. Um, do you find it boring, Phil? And, and, and if so, do you think City have a, a duty to be entertaining? No, no. I mean, nobody has a duty to be anything. I mean, at the end of the day, football's about winning games. Um, but I'm, I honestly, I see sort of between this because I don't think they're boring to watch on a tactical basis. I mean, sometimes you, you just have to look at what they're doing and you just think, wow, that's genuinely incredible. Like sometimes it looks like they have 15 players on the pitch because every blade of grass seems to be covered at all times. There's always a passing lane available. There's always someone there to press the ball if they lose it. And, you know, just the, the technique, the one-touch football is genuinely incredible to watch. But then also, you know, when you just see them with what... I mean, at some point during the Leicester game, I think in the 10 minutes before half-time, they had like 95% of the ball. They had 100% just, up for five minutes 100%, at one point. Yeah. yeah, there we go. So it's just like, how many times can you watch it go to Carl yeah, Walker and yeah. then back to Rodri and then, you know, back to the left and then into the middle again? But, I mean, that's just who they are isn't it and you know it's not their fault if they dominate games so you know I don't think they have a duty to be entertaining and honestly they are when they switch it on it's like wow you know some some of the goals they score and some of the moves they put together but you know it's just what they do isn't it and this is no news to us we've seen Guardiola teams before do do this in Spain and in Germany so you know it's just 
maybe it's a bit of saltiness that they're just comfortably the best team in, in, in England at the moment. Yeah, well, I remember seeing Guardiola's Bayern Munich playing City years ago in the Champions League and, and they were just playing us off the park. And I remember at halftime thinking, they're really good, but I, don't, I wouldn't want to watch that every week. And now I am watching it every week. I quite like it, to be honest. So <laughs> yeah, I guess everyone's a bit fickle about these things, aren't they? Um, were you a bit disappointed with Leicester in this game, Angelina? They looked a little bit in awe of City to me. I was expecting a really good game. Um, or is it just the case that City are just so much better than, than even the third best team in the league at the moment? Um, I think that you have to criticise Leicester a little bit. I think that they could have done more. They did seem a little bit rabbits in the headlights. Um, And they were talking about it on Match of the Day, and I think it was a really good point, in that they played pretty similar regarding the formation they set up to how they played in September. And you can't do that because this is a different City team that, well, it's it's not the same players, but, you know, the team that we're watching now is is very different, um, if we're being honest. We didn't Um, give them three penalties this time, which helps. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I definitely did expect more. But then on the other hand, I think you can't take anything away from City and you do have to 100% keep the praise on to them. And I think they are just so much better. I mean, the table speaks for itself. There's a massive gap. Their quality this season has just been far superior. The game was great for City. The midfield were fantastic. Um, you know, that Kevin De Bruyne pass was just... <laughs> oh, it was crazy. And and I just feel like, as much as you can throw a little bit of criticism on Leicester in that, I feel like if you're third in the league, you should be bringing a little bit more to the game. But you cannot take anything away from the fact that City are literally just on another level. Yeah, I like how um, Jermaine Janus referred to that as the pass of the season on Match of the Day. Like, I didn't realise we were keeping track of these things. Is is there an award for that now? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> pass of the season, tackle of the season. Yeah. Maybe there should be, actually. Yeah. Mm. Um, Fernandinho had an excellent game for City in midfield. He'll be 36 in May and his contract is up at the end of the season. Um, Phil, if you were making the decisions at City, would you would you offer him a new deal? Absolutely. Um I know there's that like funny clip of Rio Ferdinand on BT Sport when he's talking about Solskjaer, like put the paper on the table, give him the pen, whatever <laughs> he wants, like kind of thing. Because for me, he's like a genuine Premier League legend. Like, yeah. I don't know why he isn't spoken about in that sort of vein. I mean, obviously City had like Silva and Yaya Torre, Aguero, you know, in that incredible sort of decade spell. But for me, Fernandinho, what a player, really, really incredible Um and I think to be playing at like this at 36 um, is an incredible achievement. And I think if they can offer him one year, um, for sure, he that could be like the perfect marriage because then he can sort of come in and out when when he's needed. He can be a sort of a influential coaching figure in the in the background and behind the scenes. And you know, Rodri's there to learn from him for another year or so. And you know, it's just, he's he's so good. Um, I would keep him around for as long as possible if it was me. So yeah. um, I hope they, they do the same. Yeah, I'd give him a new deal too. And I'd also um, erect a statue of him and, and it would be him and the referee booking him because he gets booked every single match. Never gets sent off. I don't know how he manages it. But that's it. it. That's yeah. it. He always knows what, like, what the line is, you know? He's yeah. the, the classic uh, tactical foul. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what do you make of, of City's decision not to offer Sergio Aguero a new deal, Angelino? I mean, he started this game and I think to me it was it was probably the clearest evidence yet that City probably are right not to not to give him a new deal. Um, do you think letting him go and keeping Gabriel Jesus around with another striker possibly coming in is the smart thing to do? I feel like definitely you've got to bring in a new striker. I mean, I know Guardiola's sitting there like trying to make out like there's a lack of coins at, at Manchester <laughs> City and like, oh, we've got no money, guys. Sorry. Not 
having it. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not. There are coins in the bank. So um, I was kind of surprised at one point because I guess you 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 kind of see it more that the legend walks away from the club, not the club walking away first mm-hmm. sometimes. But I feel like this is very much a mutual decision and it definitely makes sense because he's not been at his best, let's be honest, this season. And I think it's best to bid farewell now than to watch him decline. Um, so I think it's definitely the right decision. I think you have to realise when you've got a, you know, a player like Aguero, a, a club legend like that, you have to realise when it's time to cut the cord. And I think that City have done a really good job in kind of identifying that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, with the rest of his career. But I am concerned if it's just going to be Jesus. I mean, his numbers, you know, like since he's a, like as he's got better and better and since his arrival at Manchester City, like his numbers do seem to have got better. You know, like the last three years, it's gone from like 17 goals, 21 goals, 23 goals last season. This season, we're on about 13. <laughs> so it, it, it's not as great. I think he's definitely still talented, but I wouldn't, if I was a City fan, I wouldn't want him as the sole option. And whilst there are other players around him that can definitely score goals, I feel like you've got to have somebody else up there as well. Yeah, I've never been thoroughly convinced by Jesus. I think he's got potential. And I think that's, I mean, the, the sort of emotional part of me would say, keep Aguero, sign a new striker, sell Jesus. Um, mm. The the uh, more rational part of me thinks, well, Aguero's not going to get any better as he, if he's clearly getting worse already. Um, Jesus still has potential, so keep him around for that reason. I mean, I'm sad to see Aguero go, but I think, I think the time is right for it to happen. What I'm not happy about is this talk of him potentially going to another Premier League club like that's not that wasn't part yeah. of the deal I don't want to see him wearing, wearing a Chelsea <laughs> shirt or especially not you know a United shirt I don't think that's going to happen but um, nah. yeah go to Independiente go to Barcelona go wherever you want just don't go to another Premier League club I can't handle that I don't think <laughs> no. uh, Manchester United strengthened their grip on second place when they came from behind to beat Brighton on Sunday and um, the headline news before this game is that Anthony Martial might be out for the rest of the season but is that a big loss for United Angelina? Not really. No. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not that deep, is it? Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. um I feel like it's uh I mean, how are we scoring seven goals in thirty in over thirty appearances, Anthony Marshall? How are we doing this? Like it's not okay. I mean, last season, yeah, we got twenty three and people were talking absolute rubbish like Rashford, Marshall and Greenwood are like the best front three in Europe. Behave yourselves. <laughs> Um, I don't know what people were thinking when they were saying, well, maybe like one of the best in the Premier League. I, I mean, at the time when I heard it, I thought, listen, I've been watching Martial long enough to know that this is a fluke. And I've been proven right. <laughs> I mean, the, you look at the seasons before, 12 goals, 11 goals. You know, the season before that, eight goals. Um, it's just the numbers do not add up. And it's a shame because um, it's kind of like what you were saying, Dan, that like, no, no, it wasn't you, Dan, it was you, Phil, that was saying it about how, um, you know, like when you've got youth players that come through, you want to try and you always want to can't necessarily do that all the time. And whilst Marshall isn't a youth player, you know, he has been at the club for quite a number of years. We pay a lot of money for him. And I think it's hard for some fans to kind of admit that this has never really worked out, if we're being honest. It's never really worked out. Um, And I think you've just got to accept. He's been given ample opportunity. I know that he had some issues regarding his personal life that seemed to stretch over about three years, which is just a bit ridiculous. I mean, they've got Cavani. How much good he will do, I don't really know. I feel like he's just there to cash his cheque and move on. Um, I feel like there are enough good goal scorers in the team to get United through the rest of the season for now. But I have been of the opinion 
for a couple of years now that Martial needs to go. It's not worked out, and I think we're just we're just wasting time on a player that is never really going to come good. So no, I don't think it's a big loss at all. Yeah, especially when they've got Mason Greenwood. I mean, Phil, do you think it's a perfect opportunity for him to establish himself up front for United? He took his goal pretty well against Brighton. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely a good opportunity. But for me, the issue I have with Greenwood is that I don't really know what he is yet. Um, You can't deny the talent. I mean, you know, even just looking at him, you can see how comfortable he is on both feet. He's got like a, you know, quite a a nice frame for Premier League football already. He he doesn't get bullied off the ball. You know, technically he's, you know, outstanding. But I don't know, I just look at him and I say, are you a a right winger? Are you a striker? Are you a sort of a second striker? I'm not quite sure where he's, you know, where he's going to end up. And I think that's quite dangerous for, for footballers because you kind of end up in a limbo between all three and then all of a sudden you don't establish yourself anywhere. So... I think the job for for Greenwood and for Solskjaer is to really nail down a position for him, and, and maybe, like you said, this this sort of absence with uh, with Martial can give him a a small little run in in the central role and, and see how he takes to it. But I mean, he's going to score goals wherever he plays. It's just finding somewhere where he feels at home, you know. But for, for me, you can't doubt the talent for example yeah Angelina how um, significant do you think the decision was to play Dean Henderson over David De Gea in this game can you see De Gea leaving in the summer and do you think Henderson is good enough to be his long-term replacement if he does go I mean I'm seeing reports today that it's like De Gea is leaving like he's (laughs) done like because Dean Henderson played and because Dean Henderson has been playing for all these games it's just this merry-go-round with these goalkeepers and I just want to get off, to be honest. But um, <laughs> I do think it's a massive decision because I think it shows De Gea that, you know, you've been off living at large in Spain whilst your missus as, as a child. Fair enough. <laughs> living it's at like, large. <laughs> yeah, living at large in Madrid. <laughs> you can't just walk back into this team and, you know, put your gloves on and get back to it, you know, Um and I think so it kind of shows De Gea like know your place kind of thing and I think it also shows Henderson because there were reports that he was allegedly throwing his toys out of his pram because um, he wasn't being given enough opportunities and Henderson that they will keep their word in that if you're playing well you get the spot so he didn't have an absolute nightmare in De Gea's absence so he's continued um, and I think that is 100% fair enough I mean it wouldn't surprise me with De Gea um, I feel like I always feel like Henderson is quite young but he's not that young really especially when you think about when De Gea arrived at United um, mm. and I think that if United want to keep Dean Henderson which is clearly what, what they seem to want what Solskjaer has said then it's the way forward um, I don't know if De Gea will want to leave I feel like he does get a lot of stick and listen there have been some shocking performances but I think on the whole the amount of time that he's been at the club I think he's been more good than he has been an absolute shambles um, I think he's got strong ties in Spain obviously with his girlfriend. I mean, I saw the pictures of them walking out of the hospital after having the child. It was like the royal family almost, you know, <laughs> like it was it was that kind of situation. I know that, you know, she's a she's a massive personality and a massive singer in Spain. So maybe now that they have a child who wants to make the move back to Spain, but it will all come down to money and if he's all right taking a pay cut, to be honest. I, th- I think it was interesting how Solskjaer said um, David will definitely play for us again. Like that to me sounds like he might play again this season, but that might be it. Maybe I'm reading a bit too much into yeah, that. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's kind of like he's definitely going to show his face again this season, yeah. but we're not too sure. I think it would probably make sense for everybody to give Henderson the chance. Um, sure, we can do. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but for, sorry, who, who would sign the hair? This is the thing. There's no, the, the for money. me. There's no. Yeah, there's no natural 
place for him to go. Yeah, he's not mm. going to Real Madrid now, is he? They've got no. Courtois, oh they God. don't need him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point, no. actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Danny Welbeck scored his third uh, goal against United since leaving to give Brighton the lead in this game. Um, Phil, do you think he should also have got a penalty when Harry Maguire appeared to pull him down in the box in the second half at 1-1? I mean, when I was watching it live, I thought, oh, it's typical Welbeck, you know, falling over in the <laughs> in the box again. I mean, it's actually bizarre how much he, he does that. Um, but... When I saw the replays, I was like, well, well, you know, I saw a little bit of contact from Maguire when he's, he gave him a little little nudge. I don't know. I'm going to put it in you've seen them given territory. <laughs> um, but actually, when the referee sort of trotted over to the screen, I was like, oh, maybe they could, you know, they could give this here. But I think he just got away with it. But for sure, I, I don't think it was good defending from Maguire at all. I think he was slow to to anticipate the danger and Welbeck clearly um you know left him in the dust that he had an easy run on him you know he hardly had to work hard for it at all and I I think Maguire was quite lucky but actually on the whole I thought Brighton played really well in the first half I thought they were excellent but again it's just down to their quality in the final third and they didn't have it and Man United did so that's basically what decided the game Yeah I think uh, Graham Potter had it right on that penalty incident where he said it probably wasn't a penalty but if Mike Dean had given it the VAR probably wouldn't have overruled him that seems, seems about right to me there seems to be that disconnect there mm. um, so yeah I think uh, I think yeah, probably it would have been it would have been soft. Let's be honest, but uh, you've seen him given as you said. Uh, West Ham are up to fourth after a thrilling three-two victory away at Wolves on Monday night. Uh, Angelina, should we give Jesse Lingard the Ballon d'Or now or what? I'd hold up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we kind of can because he's playing well. But all I'm saying is there's some kind of voodoo going on or something. I don't know, <laughs> but this is a little bit crazy for me. Um, I mean, at the end of the day. For for Lingard, looking at just him as a player, amazing performances, absolutely fantastic. And I think, you know, as football fans, you, you want to see a player that has had moments of greatness before to kind of come back and re-establish themselves. I think for Lingard, the loan has done exactly what he wanted it to do. And Mino Raiola will be rubbing his hands together. Um, and I'm not too sure if I can see him heading back to United if Raiola has anything to do with it. Um but he does have ties to the city, his family, his daughter, etc. So maybe he will be happy to make a return to Manchester United. I know he's got a lot of love for the club. Um, so I've, I feel like, yeah, we can give him a mini Ballon d'Or for effort. Um, <laughs> for like a comeback Ballon d'Or, maybe. Um, but no, I mean, re- real talk, it's great to see him playing so well. And I just hope it continues because I have been burnt by Jesse Lingard. I've seen him play brilliantly <laughs> and everybody's dead excited and he's great. And then he comes back from a certain tournament with a certain international team and it all goes downhill. And I'm a sceptic, I'll be honest, but in this moment in time, it's great to see him playing well. Yeah, lovely uh, goal, the solo goal. Uh, lovely yeah. Berbatov-esque flick for that second one. And even his role <laughs> in the third goal was really good. Phil, would he be in your England squad for the Euros? As much as I hate to say it, <laughs> he's definitely in the conversation. I mean, actually, I saw him have that little purple patch when he first moved and I was like, yeah, you know, he's, you know it's not going to last. He's he's fresh, you know, he's hardly played, so he's probably got legs on everybody else and you know, new club is willing to impress. But yeah, I mean, he's done really well. I mean, you can't argue with his, with his production rates. He's basically either scored or assisted in every game since he's joined and... 
you know, for me, I, 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 what you could never doubt about Lingard was his, you know, he's a monster in transition. Mm. And you can see that now the way West Ham are playing. Like, I mean, there was, I think it was for the Bowen goal, Jared Bowen's goal. He was basically alone with like five Wolves <laughs> yeah. players around him. And he, he managed to squirm through. And that's what I mean. Just like from, you know, one end to the other, Lingard's in your team and you can get there because um, he's so deceptively quick. Um, and I think it's difficult because England have so many um, sort of options in that, whether it's sort of number 10 or out wide. Um, and I've seen a lot of people talking about Jaden Saka not going, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but yeah. for sure, I think, especially with Saka being injured, Grealish being injured, he's sort of from nowhere. So he's put himself in the conversation. And I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him hashtag on the plane if, uh, <laughs> when the when the time comes. Yeah, I tweeted about this earlier, but I think all this conversation about the England squad at the moment, it's like there's no right or wrong answer, really. I think whoever you pick in your squad, you're going to leave some good players out, aren't you? It's as simple as that. And I I think it, it, it'd be mad for, for Sancho to be left out as well, but I could I could kind of see it happening at the same time. It's it's a very unprecedented situation for England, I think. Um, Wolves play with a back four here. They've got uh, Johnny Otto out for the rest of the season. Willie Bolly was also unavailable and, and they defended pretty horribly. Phil, do you Think, do you think they need to play with a back five to function properly? Yeah, I mean, it looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, I think ever since Nuno's been there, or at least for the, the last two seasons, that they've been so drilled into this um, three at the back formation. And obviously, it's natural to feel a bit uncomfortable when when you have to change that at short notice. But, I mean, they were very unlucky with the injury to, to Raul Jimenez. Um, Pedro Neto's sort of gone off the ball a bit. Adama Traore hasn't really kicked on at all this year so um I, I think on the whole it's been disappointing but they've had some some bad injuries and stuff that have been sort of understandable in curtailing their progress but I don't know I, I'm not sure if he's uh in danger of of losing his job but I think they they need to sit down again in the summer and be like right how do we how do we turn our fortunes around because last season they were they were brilliant and this time that they're, they're Un- unrecognisable um, even though they've still taken six points off Arsenal but they, yeah, so. <laughs> I was going to say that yeah Orbino tweeted out on Twitter last night Wolves have won just five of their last 23 Premier League matches two of the, two of those wins were against Arsenal which says it all really doesn't it um, yeah, yeah I, saw, I saw some Wolves fans on Twitter saying the back five sort of stifles them in an attacking sense as well and it's weird how Nuno hasn't really got the, the sort of balance right this season at all um, this result leaves them 14th in the table Angelina would you say they've possibly been the most disappointing team in the league this season? You know what? I would probably agree with that. Um, I think you you could maybe argue about you know the decline of Sheffield United's been pretty terrible, but um, I, I, yeah, I would agree. I feel like you know there were this they were this club that was floating around these Europa League spots, and with the league being so open this season, um, they were kind of a team that you thought this is their chance to really make their mark. Like if you didn't know anything about. If if you went back to, you know, September or whenever the, the league started and you was to say to people, listen, all I can say to you is this season is going to be super, super open. It's all to kind of play for situation. You would be thinking, you know what, Wolves are going to be challenging. You could even potentially see Wolves making a play for, you, you know, you don't know kind of thing. Um, and they haven't done it, you know, and, and like Phil touched on, they've had some some injuries. They've had some players not really performing the way that they, the way that we expected. Um, and it is sad to see the way that they've spiralled and, you know, um, without revealing my sources, I used to have a little bit of intel at Wolves. Um, oh, yeah. And it was, yeah, I won't go into it, but yeah, <laughs> but I, 
I all I know is <laughs> alleg- allegedly. <laughs> I'll tell you off air. <laughs> but all I know is that allegedly, um, they have very very good owners that are literally like, if you're hitting A, B, C, and D, like we're going to open the bank accounts more. You can, you guys can get who you want to get, kind of thing. So I think for the owners as well, this will probably be quite disappointing in that they've kind of been hitting targets and getting better and better and they've been signing some good players and it's just not happened and Wolves are one of those teams I'm not really mad at them like they've not really Mm. irritated me in any way shape or form yet (laughs) I mean a few Manchester United games that they have annoyed me but (laughs) they're just one of those teams I like to see doing well and hopefully next season um they can they can bring a little bit more Indeed. Uh, Tottenham looked like they were creeping into the top four on Sunday until they conceded a late equaliser to draw 2-2 with Newcastle. Afterwards, Jose Mourinho was asked why Spurs aren't as good at at seeing games out as as some of his previous teams and he said same coach, different players. Do you think he has a point there, Angelina, or or is it a classic case of Jose abdicating responsibility and throwing his players under the bus? Oh, this man. Like (laughs) I love this man's shadiness and his inability to just be honest and transparent. His (laughs) tactics with the media are getting old, they're dried and they're dusty and I just can't deal with him. Like I feel like he's just, and this is what he used to do at United, he's just opening up his players for criticism within the media. And me personally, I don't always think that's a good thing for managers to do. Um... I like to see managers, you know, try and protect the players a little bit more. Um, and, you know, he also said, you know, they tried to do their best. I mean, how patronising <laughs> is that? If I'm a Spurs player watching this guy, I'd be like, listen, you are you are not the one. Like, I just feel like he's basically saying, you translate that as, I'm great, they're weak. Mm. I'm good enough, but my players aren't. Why can't you, you know what? Like, why couldn't you just answer the questions and just be honest um you know he has a point in that I don't think that he has a, a settled team he knows who he can rely on he knows a solid maybe starting 11 at this point but do we need to be this salty in front <laughs> of the media I really feel like we don't need this much salt we don't need this much sodium and I just feel like <laughs> he needs to he needs it's just Mourinho through and through like you say you know he doesn't want to accept responsibility abdicating responsibility I'm over it and I feel like if I was a Spurs player I'd be over it as well just not a good look yeah he had a real cob on after this game in his post-match stuff some of the questions he was just like I'm not going to answer that I don't want to talk about that it's like oh okay fair enough um <laughs> Harry, Kane, Harry Kane scored twice here uh meaning he's now got 29 goals and 16 assists in all competitions this season Phil he's too good to be playing in a team that's struggling to even make top four isn't he yeah I mean this is clear isn't it I mean but then again, I, I don't have sympathy for players who commit themselves to such goals because they they should know really what they're getting into. It's the same with Wilfred Zaha when he when he complains that he can't leave Palace anymore. It's like, what would you expect when you sign for five years? <laughs> yeah. You know? um, but yeah, I mean, he's just yeah head and shoulders above everybody at Spurs. I mean, Human Song is is excellent as well. Um, but it's it's genuinely quite absurd the level of consistency Kane manages to produce, you know, with even, you know, what considering his ankles blow up at least twice every season. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, oh, yeah, I mean, this is genuinely, if it wasn't for Lewandowski, this would be the, the best striker in, in the world. Um, and for sure, but you know, and you just look at the market now and you think no one's going to be able to afford him and, mm. He, has he missed the chance? I think so. 
because um, he's you know he's not an Mbappe or a Haaland. That's like a long term project. He's going to be twenty eight soon with with injury problems. And you know, will Real Madrid, will PSG, will Barcelona want to fork out a hundred plus million for him? I don't know. So he's kind of stuck at Spurs. I mean, it's not a bad thing because he's going to go on to break every record imaginable. But he's just yeah too good to be to be like you said struggling for the, for the top four yeah if you finish his career having not won anything then that'll be a bit of a bit of a travesty really the Audi it? Cup the <laughs> well there you go there you go that's the real quiz <laughs> um, the stat of the weekend I think was that Newcastle's XG of 4.3 in this game is the third highest of any Premier League uh, any team in a Premier League game this season uh, it was a much needed performance from them after that shocker against Brighton before the international break and Angelina how big do you think that point could be for them in the relegation battle I think it will be massive. Um, they will much improve. They seem to have, you know, like better energy on the pitch. Um, you know, and, and a part of me was a little bit like I wanted them to to win it. Like, you know, <laughs> the way that Spurs' defence were at times, you know, they were not at the best. Um, mm. But I think, you know, it, it's a massive point um, and it will be, I feel like it's going to be one of those games that they'll look back on and say that it potentially saved them. Um, and like I've said before, you know, and Newcastle I don't know what's wrong with me but I always kind of root for them as well they're just one of these teams that I I just want them to have a better chance I feel like they do have some potential and for me it would be a shame to see them go down um I think that they've definitely given themselves a fighting chance after that horrendous Brighton game um which at the time I thought maybe sealed their fate um but the fact that they were able to get a point from this game I think it will be massive um and good luck to them in the race that's all I can say Mm. well Joe Linton scored the opening goal for them he had a few other chances that he probably should have taken as well um Phil do you think there's any chance that he turns turns his Newcastle career around or is he a lost cause uh, I mean actually when he was at Hoffenheim I really liked the the player um I, I think they absolutely overpaid for him I'm I'm in I'm not sure where that 40 million fee came from on either side I think Hoffenheim were just having a laugh and said oh 40 million and they were like okay and they were like what um <laughs> so you know I think they straight away that price tag was an instant uh red mark against his name shall we say and and even at Hoffenheim he wasn't the central striker he was kind of playing off the left as you know like a wide target man sort of Mandzukic style um but yeah, now that I've seen him a bit more in a higher level, I think he's quite a limited player and I don't think he's ever going to turn it round um, to be the player they want him to be. I mean, he he, he will have useful matches. Um, he's strong, he can hold the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, largely I've been quite disappointed and I think Newcastle fans have been as well. So um, 40 million pounds for the odd performance here and there is not good enough yeah. really. So I think they'll they'll look to shift him on. Alan Shearer said it was his best performance for Newcastle, which, you know, it's been a long time coming that, hasn't it, I guess? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See if he can uh, match it again in, in, in the coming weeks. Uh, Fulham's survival hopes took a big hit when they squandered a 1-0 lead to lose 3-1 away at Aston Villa on Sunday. Fulham boss Scott Parker said afterwards that his team needs to be more streetwise if they're going to stay up. Um, would you agree with that, Angelina? And, and does the the book ultimately stop with the manager with that kind of thing? Like, you know, should he be encouraging his players to get men behind the ball and really grind it out instead of trying to play play out from the back when they're 1-0 up? Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. But I mean, what does he mean by streetwise? Like, I need someone to explain. It's just a thing people say, isn't it? Exactly. It's like we're not in like step up three or something (laughs) like that. Like, when you say streetwise, I'm thinking like some street dance or I don't know. But I I feel like we need better vocabulary than that. (laughs) But I feel like the team. They need to be more aware of the opposition that they're up against. They need to be more focused. At the end of the day, Villa had better subs. 
and it made the difference. Um, I feel like, on the whole, Parker's done a good job, but the responsibility isn't just on being more streetwise. Mm. Um, I think it's about, like you say, being more conscious of what kind of team you're putting out there, how you're playing, you know, adapting things when needed. Um, and, yeah, they needed more from some of the players, but I, I don't think that being more streetwise is necessarily the answer. Mm. I mean, they've lost their heads in this game. It was a capitulation, basically, wasn't it? Um, I mean, yeah. Only Southampton and Brighton have dropped more points from winning positions than Fulham this season. The three points from safety, they've got United, Arsenal and Chelsea to come in their last seven games. Can you see them surviving at this point, Phil, or do you think they're, it's looking pretty bleak for them now? Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. Um, I mean, as we said before, anything is possible. But I mean, that's the. I think that's their last three games they've lost now. And yeah, it, just echoing what Angelina said, there's just a unfortunately a lack of quality within the within the side. And you know, I thought they were there wasn't much between the two sides actually. Um, but then as soon as Villa scored the first, it was like, you know, what do we do now? And, and panic stations. And, and then obviously when. Uh, Tosin Aradabioyo, I think I've said that right. I don't know. Um, <laughs> close enough. Made the mistake. Close enough. Um, <laughs> made the mistake, and it was just like you know that summed them up really. Um, so uh, to to keep them up would be an amazing achievement. I just I just don't see it. Although they've done better than I initially expected, so maybe they can take that award from me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this was the first game in Premier League history in which every player in the starting lineups for both sides was born after the first Premier League game, uh, which was played on the 15th of August, 1992. Oh Does that make you feel old, Angelina? Because <laughs> it makes me feel old. Well, it's my birthday on uh, this week anyway, so I'm already feeling old and that is just the final nail in the coffin for me, so thanks. <laughs> Sorry about that, yeah. Um, it was a much-needed three points for Villa, though, um, especially because they finally won without Jack Grealish. Trezeguet was the architect architect of the comeback with uh, with two goals off the bench. Are you, are you a fan of his, generally speaking, Phil? Nope. No? <laughs> no, I'm not. Fair enough. No, no. I think, I think he's I, I, he's just really average. Yeah. Really average footballer. I, I mean, I've, n- I've never seen him play well, but he always manages to score. Uh, you know, actually, he has this weird you know, Avenger-like transformation in the spring where he suddenly turns into, <laughs> you know, Eden Hazard on the on the left. You know, um, I'm really not sure how he's he's scoring in the Premier League, but, I mean, they were two big goals and actually the finishes were, both finishes were, were quite good actually. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, fair play to him. But, yeah, I don't know. He's just such a weird player and I'm never impressed by him. Um, you know, when someone says your best attribute is working hard, then you know, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement and and that's how I feel about him. So, um, but he shut me up with the goals, I guess. I think it's because his name's Trezeguet. It just sounds like he should be good, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah, like like when the the Brazilians have like Inho on the end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Someone needs to bring that Brazilian player called Pikachu to Europe at some point. I really want to see him. Yeah. Uh, Everton missed the chance to put pressure on the top four when they were held to a 1-1 draw by Crystal Palace on Monday night. Uh, they're still just five points off four with the game in hand, but it feels to me like they're going to uh, live to regret dropping so, ma- so many silly points this season. Would you agree with that, Angelina? That's just one win in their last eight home league games now. 100%. I mean, how? It's so typical of Everton. <laughs> like, so typical. Like, how can you still be behind Liverpool with the season that they've had? Yeah. Like, this was your chance, guys. Like, you beat them. This was your chance to really make a mark in the league. And I just feel like they really have thrown it away. 
and I would be very, very frustrated. I mean, I think Everton fans will have a lot of good memories from this season, better than other seasons, I'm sure. Um, and they've got some great players. But yeah, like the game yesterday, you know, losing against Burnley, the fact that in the second half they didn't manage to, you know, try and even at least get a draw from that. Um, you know, the loss to Fulham. Um, I, I could go on and on and on. Do you know what I mean? There's just been so many situations where they've really should have brought more to the table and maybe it's just the fact that they're not quite there yet so maybe I can't be too mad at them <laughs> maybe you just take it for for what I, no I am still mad at them because I just feel like I was expecting them to finish higher than Liverpool if I'm being honest <laughs> I don't necessarily think that will happen this season and maybe next season we'll see more from them but I think they'll definitely be kicking themselves from some of those results and yeah. it's, it'll be a lesson learned they were really good against Palace for the most part I mean they probably could have been a 3-0 up at half time then they had a few chances early in the first, uh, second half then they finally went 1-0 up and you thought right well they're going to win this game now mm. and then they just seemed to take their foot off the gas and let Palace come back into it uh, I mean James Rodriguez made his comeback from injury and scored here that's six goals and four assists for him now Phil um, how impressed have you been by his adaptation to the Premier League and, and do you think he could hold the key to Everton potentially sneaking into the Europe European spots at the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, uh, along with Calvert-Lewin, have probably been the the outstanding forward players for for Everton this season. Um, I mean, you know, physically, he's he's nothing um, special, particularly in England. I I expected him to take a few hits and maybe not keep up with the pace, but technically, you you can't you know say anything bad about James Rodriguez, and actually. I've been quite surprised at his goal threat. I didn't really think he had that in his locker anymore. Um, but he's popped up with a fair few goals and I think um, he's been a, a big injection of quality actually for Everton. So, um, I mean, Ancelotti knows him from well from Real Madrid. So mm. maybe that was a, a nice sort of relationship to, to flourish again here at, at Goodison Park. But I think, like you said, if they're going to make a run into the a late run into the Champions League spots then having him back fit again is, is a big bonus yeah I think I tipped him to be my flop of the season before the season started so he's, he's proved me wrong at the very least yeah <laughs> uh, credit to Palace who, who probably deserved a draw from this game in the end and the equaliser was, was a very well taken goal from substitute Michi Batshuayi um, Angelina would you back him to score more often if he started more often or, or is he the sort of striker that thrives more on being a bit of a super sub I mean nine of his 15 Premier League goals have come as a sub but he, uh, he complained on international duty about his lack of playing time at Palace yeah, I mean, shots were fired, weren't they? Yeah. He's really coming for poor Roy Hodgson. I mean, again, I say poor Roy Hodgson. I think I just feel sorry for him because he's older. I don't know, <laughs> but he could be horrible. I don't even know him. But, you know, um, but yeah, I just, um, I get why shots have been fired. I get he's clearly frustrated. Um, you know, he's it's been rocky. It's not been the greatest from him at times, but, he, you know, he has scored some good goals. And I feel like why not give him the chance? You know, um, maybe he is. I've, I kind of lean towards that he's the kind of striker that thrives more on being this kind of super sub. I do probably lean more towards that. But I think, you know what, give him a chance. Yeah. See what happens. I mean, it's look at, you know, the season that they've had. Why not just, you know, give, give it a shot? I mean, there's been some games where they really haven't 
delivered if we're being honest and I think yeah give give him a shot give I mean if it, if it keeps him if it keeps him quiet you know keeps him happy why not <laughs> what's the worst that can happen it's Crystal Palace come on yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, Southampton came from 2-0 down to win 3-2 at home to Burnley on Sunday uh, James Ward-Prowse gets a lot of plaudits and he's played every minute for Southampton in the Premier League this season but Phil do you think uh, Stuart Armstrong who scored the first goal here alongside him in midfield, midfield maybe goes a little bit under the radar sometimes yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he's a, a really smart player, very suited to what um, Raf Hasenhut will want. How he, you know, he wants to play high intensity, um, pressing. He can use both feet well. He's he's got a goal threat when drifting inside. So for sure, I think he's. I mean, I think they signed him for seven or eight million from Celtic, and I think that, especially nowadays, that represents a really good bit of business. Um, for Southampton, so I think he's been a, a real positive for them this season. You know, especially with with Redmond injured and, and even Danny Ings with a, with a couple of spells out as well of the side. So, um, yeah, good. I like him. I like him a lot, actually. Yeah, speaking of Danny Ings, he was the driving force behind that comeback with a goal and an, an assist in this game. He's been linked with the likes of Manchester City in recent weeks. Angelina, do you think he's he's good enough to make the step up to one of the top clubs at this point in his career? Oh, you know what? He comes under Angelina's likeable category, I think, and it's great to see that after all the, you know, some of the ups and downs that he's had, that he's finally, you know, playing well. I think that he fits really well with the kind of team that Southampton, I mean, they're not great at the minute, but the kind of team that you more expected them to be, as in a team that needs a man who can step up, make things happen, be the star. Um, I would be a little bit sceptical about how he would perform in a team like Cities with some of those amazing players that you guys have got. But, you know, like looking at his raw talent at the end of the day, I would love to see him be given an opportunity um, because at the end of the day, strikers are going to be in high demand. You know, when you look at, you know, City need a striker, Manchester United have needed a striker for a very long time. You know, Leicester might be starting to look towards a Jamie Vardy successor, although Ings is 28, so I don't know if they class him as a successor. But, you know, Spurs, depending on if these rumours about Kane are true, even Arsenal to an extent, you know what I mean? So I think there will definitely be interest for him. Mm. And I think he ticks all the boxes for what a decent, solid striker should be and somebody that can change a game but he's changing games for Southampton is he going to be able to change a game for some of these bigger teams I'm not too sure but I'm definitely rooting for him to get a move that I think he deserves which I think he deserves better than Southampton Um, but I, I would be cautious. Yeah, I mean, he was at Liverpool, wasn't he? And it was only injuries that probably let him down there. And his injury yeah. record is still a big worry. Um, but in terms of ability, I think he's he's up there with some of the best strikers in the league. You know, his, his, his burst of pace, his finishing is amazing, isn't it? So, yeah, mm. I'd be interested to see how he, he would do at a, a different club, actually. Um, speaking of which, there's been some talk in recent weeks that Sean Dyche could leave Burnley and take over at Crystal Palace in the summer. Phil, do you think that would be a good fit? Um, and do you think a fresh start would do Dyche and Burnley some good? Or, or would Burnley really struggle without him uh i mean well first of all do they have any strep cells at Stellar's park so <laughs> just please i'm so tired i just wanted to it's so annoying having to <laughs> clear your throat man for god's cold. sake yeah <laughs> um actually I, yeah yeah actually i don't see deitch anywhere else but burnley it's really strange i i mean i know he was at watford before but i don't know they just seem like a really perfect fit together um, and actually, Crystal Palace have quite a, a fun squad. Um, you know, they have Eze, uh, they have Zaha, they have, you know, Townsend, they have Batshuayi, they have these kind of people who, you know, if, they, if they're if they playing well, they can turn it on, you know. Um, and I don't really see 
Deitch there getting the best out of these players when he's got like his trusted, you know, Dwight McNeil at left left midfield <laughs> whipping the ball in and, you know, Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky. I mean, Palace are in a, in a really bad place squad-wise. I mean, their squad is about averaging 35 years of age, I think, at the moment. So um, they really need to be careful this summer because they have a lot of business to do. So I don't know. I don't know. I think Deitch will stay at, at Burnley. Um, but for sure, I think Hodgson could... It could very much be a mutual uh, decision for him to leave this summer because mm. they're not really going anywhere. You'll be sad about that, won't you, Angelina? Devastated. <laughs> I don't know I'm going to cope. <laughs> Poor Roy. Uh, Burnley goalkeeper yeah. Nick Pope played for England against Poland in midweek and he came in for a bit of criticism, perhaps unfairly for his uh, his distribution. Um, but Angelina, do you get the sense that he perhaps failed his, his England audition there and who would be your, your goalkeeper at the Euros? Oh, a million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, um, I feel that he, he he didn't do the best on his audition. I feel like he probably would have got through to boot camp, um, <laughs> but I'm not too sure. I think it would have been like a, a pity yes from the judges. Um, but I don't think that he's totally out of the running at all, if that makes sense. And I just feel like when you're looking at the options, it's hard. I mean, you've got what? Sam Johnston, he's been in this game a long time actually I didn't realize he was like 28 um but he's managed what five clean sheets this season uh he's not good enough I don't think he's got enough experience on the big stage um Dean Henderson yeah 20 appearances playing for what you could argue was like the best club out of the clubs that keepers play for regarding you know the second in the table but I don't think he's got enough experience or game time maybe if he you know gets United to a Europa League final and he's consistently in in net and he pulls something out of the bag maybe he could be a worthy contender um I think it's going to come down to Pickford and and Nick Pope I feel like Pickford nostalgia wins because I remember that World Cup and (laughs) everyone liked him and like I actually like my my mum actually knows uh somebody who is quite close to his family um and I remember her talking about the World Cup and how his family were so chuffed and so proud I just feel really sad for him. Like psychologically, it could end up going wrong because the media's person that they would attack. I feel if he makes a mistake, um, mm. Nick Pope. I think that, like I say, he still got through to boot camp. Um, he has, you know, got this consistent experience with Burnley. Um, I really don't know. I feel like unless Dean Henderson pulls something crazy out of the bag, it is going to be those two. And I feel like if you're going on experience on paper, in that Pickford was so prominent in that World Cup that you'd probably go for him. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, he's the best out of a mediocre bunch, if we're being honest. Yeah, what I want to know is, do England take three goalkeepers to the tournament or is that a waste of a spot? I mean, you could you could take two goalkeepers and have Kyle Walker as your backup, couldn't you? Because he's played in goal before. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of food for thought there, Gareth, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, final, finally, uh, Leeds temporarily moved into the top half when they beat Sheffield United 2-1 on Saturday. Uh, Angelina, that Island Road pitch is looking a bit better these days, isn't it? <laughs> do you think that's the uh, that's the key to their chances for, of a, a first top half finish in the Premier League since 2002? Listen, we know my opinions on Ellen Road. I'm, I'm that shambles of a pitch, disgraceful. But yeah, we're not skating as much. Um, so we'll see what next season brings and all these pitch plans that they've allegedly got. Um, you know what? I, I could see it happening. I mean, they've, I don't know though, because, you know, they play, I think, is it Liverpool, United, Spurs, but then they've also got 
you know, like Southampton, West Brom. City at the weekend they've got as well. Yeah, of course. So it's one of those. I feel like it will depend also on how the teams around them do. Um, I don't don't think it will happen. I think Mm. it's it's still doable. It's not a complete write-off. Maybe this is my Man United bias getting in my head, but I don't. I I think they should be chuffed with eleventh or twelfth. Yeah, to be honest. So that's all right, let isn't them it? have yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, they would have taken that. They would, they would have bitten your hand off for that before the season started. Exactly. <laughs> um, Jack Harrison scored here. He's been really impressive all season. What do you think the future holds for him, Phil? Do you reckon he'd, he'd be, be wise to stay at Leeds, or do you think he's he's, he's good enough to play for a, a better team? Even no, no, stay stay at Leeds for one more year for sure. I mean, like they're going to stay up. Uh, mid-table finish is is really impressive for them considering you know the the quality of their squad um and I think Bielsa has done a good job because you know they're kind of all or nothing really they don't draw games that either win them well or lose them in catastrophic fashion so I think they've done a good job um but yeah Harrison should stay for sure because I think he and him on one side and Rafinha on the other side is a is a nice little uh, uh partnership there so um yeah, but he has been good, uh, and it's nice to see him thrive in the Premier League after you know, kind of falling out of the English ladder. Yeah, uh, very weird route into the game. Didn't he go to America? Or yeah, yeah, he went to New York City. Yeah, um, but no, he's good. I like him, uh, um, and yeah, we really fun to watch. So yeah, stay at Leeds and, yeah. and keep doing what they're doing. Uh, the own goal in this game was Phil Jagielka's seventh in the Premier League, which puts him second on the all-time list. Can either of you tell me who holds the record for the most Premier League own goals? I would say Ooh. Richard Dunn or Correct. Jamie Carragher. Richard Dunn it is. <laughs> he got 10. What a legend. Get in. Get a yeah. statue up for that lad as well. Well, we're right. Yeah. <laughs> Statues everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's all we've got time for this week. But before we go, Angelina, perhaps you can tell us what's coming up on the women's football show this week. Uh, we are looking at those Champions League games. Obviously, Manchester City didn't go through. Mm. I know sad times, Dan. We're looking yeah. at Barcelona. Could they maybe actually be lifting the trophy? Manchester United had an absolute mare in the Women's Super League. Uh, we'll be looking at some of the games that took place in Germany as well. So, yeah, just all around looking at everything. And like I say, definitely uh, the next stage of the Champions League and what we think may happen. Sounds action-packed. Well, we've also got a men's Champions League review show coming up on Thursday, of course. And then we'll be back to talk all things Premier League next Tuesday. If you'd like to send in any questions for any of our shows in the meantime, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball. Bye for now.